singing about it. And, 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 you know, the Bible says the day of one's death is more to be rejoiced than the day of one's birth. That's hard to imagine. But the reality is when somebody dies and they're in Jesus, what a day it's going to be to get to stand before Jesus, get to see him. Heard about a little boy who had been given a... Go ahead and turn your Bibles while I'm telling this. Ushers, come on up here. And uh, go and get your Bibles open to the book of Job chapter 1 while the ushers are making their way. But I heard about a boy who had, had a pet turtle. Had a pet turtle. And uh, he loved his little pet turtle. One day he was out there playing with it, and he couldn't get it to come out of the shell. It was just in there locked tight. He's like, oh, my goodness. And he waited, and he waited. He'd seen this before, but the turtle would usually come out and walk around. And he watched it all day, and the turtle never came out. So the boy went to his mom, and he said, Mom, I'm so sad. She said, why? And he said, my turtle has died. And she went and got a little shoebox, and they put the turtle in it and put the lid on it. And the mother could see the brokenheartedness of her little boy. So she started doing the things that mamas do, you know, to cheer, to cheer him up. She said, son, listen, I know it's a sad day that your turtle has died, but listen, son, we're going to have a big party, and you're going to get to invite all of your friends over, and we're going to have a send-off and a little, little awake and then we're going to have a little funeral for it, and we're going to get cake and ice cream, and we're going to celebrate the, the life of your turtle, and we're going to have a big taco uh, dinner, and, and you can invite your friends, and we're just going to have a great time as we say goodbye to your little friend here. And the boy was looking, and his eyes were getting big. He said, so we're going to have tacos? She said, that's right, son. And we're going to have ice cream? And she said, that's right. He said, and we're going to have cake? Yeah, we're going to celebrate your little friend's life there and, and, and give it a good send-off. He's like, wow. Then he opened up the lid to that box, and all of a sudden he saw that turtle walking around inside there. He looked down at it, looked at Mom, and said, Mom, can I kill it? Man, I tell you, if we had to sing it about heaven, we kind of want to die and get on up there, amen. But I still enjoy life around here. How many of you with me on that? I'm looking forward to heaven, but I'm having a good time in the middle and enjoying what God has for me and my wife and kids and my friends. And, but I know that the best is always yet to come when you're in Jesus. Isn't that a great thought? Job chapter 1. In fact, I'm going to talk about today a sermon entitled, In the Middle. In the Middle. You'll see what I'm talking about here in just a moment. But I want you to look at Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. By the way, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. I, I just always say this because it makes me look educated. I always tell you these little facts because you all stand back and say, wow. Our preacher is smart. Anybody that can read a concordance or a, uh, anything can read this. But in any case, it's the oldest book in the Bible. It's believed that, that Moses wrote it. And, of course, we know that the name is pronounced Job. But it is spelled as what? Job. Now, I don't know, nor can I even begin to understand the dark, intricate mysteries of the Bible and I really don't know how they know it was pronounced Job and not Job. But that's what I was told in Bible college. And by cracky, I'm just going to stick with it. But if you'd prefer to say Job, knock yourself out. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. 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 I don't want to make anybody unhappy here. You can always kind of tell the new Christians, by the way. They, preacher, I was reading in the book of Job the other day. And I'm like, yeah. And, and then I finished it out. I read the book of Malachi. My wife's part Italian. She thought it was the book of Malachi for a long time. And I, we got married. I had to correct her on that. No, it's Malachi. It's not Malachi. But anyway, we're going back to Job here. And the man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. 
And the word perfect doesn't mean he was sinless. There's only been one sinless person, that was Jesus. But we know that what that meant was he was a righteous man, that his sins had been forgiven and that he sought forgiveness of the Lord. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. He was a wealthy man. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their fasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the numbers of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned. I have a son and therefore I understand what he's getting to there. Julian gave me a heart attack yesterday. Literally a heart attack, Miss Cassie. I thought I was literally going to, I thought I was going to go meet the maker yesterday. I was outside. We were getting, I was watching my nephew because they were at the ladies' banquet. So I had them both there. They were in there doing things that, you know, playing video games and stuff. And, and I saw them there. Like 30 seconds later, I go outside and I see my four-wheeler driving down the road. And I glance up and I look over where my four-wheeler is usually sitting. There's just an empty spot. I look back and I just see a glimpse of it. I thought... What in the world? Someone just stole my four-wheeler in broad daylight. I was in flip-flops, Brother Woody. I began running down the road after it. I saw it as it went around the corner. Then I thought, I'm going to grab the other four-wheeler. But then I remembered that I had turned the gas off and ran the gas out so that my carburetor didn't get gummed up. So I'm thinking, no, I can't do that. That's going to take me too long. And I was like a squirrel. I was like, I was just running around the yard trying to decide. Do I go get my keys to my truck? And I was running around. Then I run inside and I went, Julian! I yelled his name like three times, and then it dawned on me that it was you riding my four-wheeler. <laughs> Son, a little information next time, but sure saved daddy wear and tear on the old ticker. <laughs> Amen. Which I didn't mind him riding the four-wheeler. He rides it all the time, but it's just, it's a scary thought. Mm. Amen. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. I couldn't remember the combination to my, to my lock on my safe, though. I was trying. I was like, what, what is that thing? And I was thinking, I need to get, I need to get a preparedness plan. I need, to get, I need to get a little bit more of a preparedness plan next time. But anyway, I do relate to this story. Job said, I have sons, and it could be that they have sinned, and I do understand. All you parents in the room say amen. If you have a son, you get what he's talking about, too. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now, we're going to stop here, and I'm just going to give you the rest of it here in a minute. It's a very familiar story, but we're going to go ahead and take up the offering at this time. Amen. Brother Riles, good to see you, buddy. Lead us in a word of prayer.
know where my carpet went. That was beautiful. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Both of you. Amen. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. We've already read the first five verses. We're going to kind of skim through it a little bit today. Again, I'm going to give you something just to excite you a little bit and encourage you. And uh, uh, I hope that you'll give me your ear today. We had a wonderful Sunday school class, by the way. Looked in that the life of Noah and all the facts about Noah and, and the symbolisms that are found in the story of Noah. Great, great lesson. Man, I was sad when I ran out of time. I had more to say, but we did have a good time. Men, didn't we have a good time at Sunday school? Amen. Brother Ray Stafford was there this morning. Somehow he thought it was the all-you-can-eat breakfast day. And uh, I told him there was no all-you-can-eat breakfast. That was the ladies yesterday at the Golden Corral for the ladies extravaganza, which I heard was an awesome time. And I'm uh, so happy you ladies had a great time. And, and I told Miss Cassie, you know, as people are married, I've been told that they began to become more and more like their mates. You know, they get married, they become more and more alike and start to look alike and think alike. But when you start growing a mustache, you know, that's, that's where we got to draw the line. And I'm glad you shaved this morning before you got here. But, but anyway, I'm glad that the ladies, Miss Hay, I heard stole the show, was a great comedian. Miss Hay missed her calling. She should have been a comedian, I, I think. But, uh, and uh, always got a good, funny story. And, and I love to tell jokes. I know it's a shock to y'all, and I, I suppress that a lot. I, don't, I try not to be very funny. I try to be very serious and mysterious and, 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 and you know, but anyway. She's the only one I know of that can really match me joke for joke. If I get into a joke off with her, you know, we start telling jokes. She, I'm usually under the table by the time it's over. She's got a million of them, so I, I'd love to hear that. Anyway, uh, I'm glad you all had a good time. And uh, but Brother Stafford thought it was all you can eat breakfast morning. I said, no, but I do have a box of Tic Tacs. You can eat all of them if you want. And uh, he, he really seemed excited about that. All you can eat Tic Tacs. It was only a figuratively speaking. But uh, anyway, all right, Job chapter 1, are you there? Say amen. I want to talk to you today a little bit in a topic that we'll pull out of the life of Job. What an amazing story we see in the story of Job. How many of you are familiar with the story of Job? You know quite a bit about it. At least you know the gist of it. I don't want to have to try to spend most of my time that I have giving you the background of that, but we'll see some things as we get through this here. It's an amazing story, though. It's given by the hand of Moses. The story of Job is a man that loved God. And because he loved God, he served God. And because he served God, he was greatly blessed of God. By the way, listen, beloved, you will never outgive God. I don't care what you think you have sacrificed for God, you've only invested to God. God will take your little and make it a lot, and you'll never do more for God than he has done for you and will do for you. And anything that you do for God is not wasted. Time spent here is placed into a heavenly bank. Time that you give to the Lord. Time that you serve Him. Time that you come and you do quiet things in His honor and for His glory. God has added that to an eternal trust. And one day you will reap the benefits, not just in heaven, although there's heavenly reward and it's the eternal reward. That's the reward that is gold, silver, and precious stones. That's the reward that a thief can't break away and steal. That's the reward that somebody else can't misdirect their, your glory to their glory. That's that reward that, that it will never rot. It will go away. How many of you are excited about that? 
God has those kind of rewards for those that serve him. But, but God also has wood, hay, and stubble. Those are earthy rewards, temporary rewards. That might be getting a raise at your job. That might be getting to be able to buy a new car. That might be able to buy the house of your dreams. Now, you're not going to take those things to heaven with you. And they pale in comparisons to what God has in heaven for you. But they sure are nice when you're living down here. Amen. Amen. It's nice to have a house without a leaky roof. Have a car that will not only take you to work, but bring you home from work. It's nice to be able to afford the luxuries of life and to have the things that, that God often gives us. And, and I'm not a prosperity gospel guy. You all know that. If I was, I'd be the most poor prosperity-giving preacher you've ever met. But the reality is, God's blessed me in tremendous ways. And I believe with all my heart that any time I've ever sacrificed for Him, what I would call a sacrifice was what God would call an investment. And God always makes sure that you get a return on what you do for Him. Job became the wealthiest man of his day. And that wasn't because he was so great, but it's because he put his faith in somebody who is that great. Put his faith in God. And he trusted God. And because he served God, he was blessed of God. And you can have those blessings of God as well. You put your faith in God and you, you praise God and worship God and trust God. God will reward you, not just in the afterlife, but even today. God will, will bless your life in great ways. Now, we see, though, that because of all this, he garnered the attention of the evil one. And he ended up enduring and survived Satan's best shots. Now, some of you are familiar with the story. Job takes it on the chin, man. And it wasn't because he was bad. The reality is he's in this mess because he was good. He's in this mess because he believed in God. He's in this mess because he loved God. And this love of God garnered the attention of Satan. And Satan then begins to try him and to test him. And he goes to the Lord with this challenge that man cannot love you and man does not have the ability to love you. And the only reason Job worships you at all is because you spoil him and you give him such great things. And you let me have a day with him and he'll curse your name because mankind, that's just the way they are. Well... God allowed Satan to have some leeway and some freedom. And we know the story of how he began to attack him, took away all of his wealth, took away all of his health, ended up even taking away his ten beloved children, at least temporarily. I believe that in heaven today, Job is enjoying an eternity with his children. But the devil was able to hit him at that moment. Hit him hard. That was a hard hit. And we see where Job falls in the dirt and pours dust all over his face. And he says... Naked came I into this earth, and naked I'll go out. But then I love it when he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he kept his faith strong in the Lord. First, searching his own heart, wondering what he had done to brought these things upon himself, wondering where he had failed, or wondering what sin was there that he didn't know about. And we can read the long, drawn-out thoughts of Job that are between Job 1 and the very end of the book. We can see all these, these thoughts that he has. The truth is, you and I know that Satan showed up. But he emerged victorious, and he rose from the burning embers of his past to soar in the greatest of God's blessings. You know, Job stirs us. We find this story interesting because we find it relatable. How many of you are with me on this? Now, I've never been through what Job's been through. 
but I have been through periods of time where I just felt I'm in the devil's crosshairs. I just feel that he's doing everything he can, Ramona, to make my life hard. And anything that I try to do that's good, he shows up. I have a word for it as a preacher. I call it the darkness. I enter into dark places when I'm trying to do great things for the cause of God. Church camp's coming, and I run this camp. We ran it. This will be our 22nd year. I spend June in the darkness. I spend it praying and seeking God's power and being enveloped in fear. I don't understand how to explain that. I guess maybe preachers in the room, if you've done anything like this, you may understand what I'm talking about. But I, I know that you can't do anything great for the cause of God without attracting the interest of Satan. And my staff will be the first to share with you how June goes for us every year. Every year, June is a horrendous month of just the devil making everything we do hard. Everything. Everything we try to do. Computers that are new will crash. Printers that are brand new will not print. Uh, things that happen. We start to hear of churches that are coming, and then suddenly they're not coming. And then we start to hear all these things, and then we'll, even the very weather forecast often are dark. We, we're going to look at a, a week of camp with 250 to sometimes 330, 340 kids, and it's supposed to rain all day, every day for four straight days. And I just feel the darkness come on me, and I look to the heavens and say, God, you've got to help me here. And you feel helpless with these things. They're out of your control. Those are just small things, and there's other many, many other stories I could share or things that I've been through in my life where you just go through seasons. In psychiatry, they even have what's called a Job complex, where you can literally feel that there's a hidden force somewhere out there out to get you, and that life is just always going to be hard. And, and we see that Job stirs us because we find it so relatable. We find often in our life that we're going through similar things that Job is described as going through. The story of Job, like all stories, has three parts to it. Starts off with a happy beginning. We saw that in Job 1, verse 1 through 5. Here's a man that's been blessed of God. He loves God. He has sons and daughters, and they love each other, and they get along, and they meet and have feasts at each other's houses. And, and Job has done sacrifices on their behalf, and he's prayed for God to protect his children, and, and he's living the will of God, and he's enjoying the best of God. That's how the story starts off. You know, all stories seem to start off happy. It's a joyful day. Last this week, I had a... By the way, I'm a great uncle. Again, I'm, I always knew I was a good uncle, but now I'm officially a great, great, twice great, great, great uncle. I have a great nephew, and then this week, my little nephew, Kurt, and his wife, Riley, gave birth to a little, beautiful little girl. It happened on Tuesday, so... We rejoiced. We were excited. And our family felt like this is a great blessing. And our family rejoiced at the birth of this brand new little baby niece. It's a day of happiness for a family. You know, when you were born, it's a happy beginning. It's a happy day. Your life starts off with joy and happiness. And when your mother held, her, held you to her breast, she, she felt joy, accomplishment, and, and, and Love like nothing she'd ever felt in her life. Job's story starts off with a happy beginning, just like our stories do. But then there's a middle. The middle is a sad and scary, stressful story. 
the middle of this story of Job, there's a lot of sadness. Reason to weep for Job. Reason to feel scared. As we start to put ourselves in his shoes and think of the ways that we could be in his shoes. Think about how we can be going along through life and everything going good and suddenly just the carpet gets ripped out from underneath us. And we all fear those things and we know the reality of those things. You can go to work and have a great job and the next day be in the unemployment line. You can live in a house and have a nice new car and be getting raises and paychecks and and have a beautiful wife and children and get one phone call and turn your world upside down. Many of us have been through those days. And in the middle, a lot of scary things and a lot of stressful things. In in Job 1, verse 6 through 22, we see the beginning of the middle and it carries all the way through to the next 40 chapters. We deal with the middle of Job's story. That middle is not a happy time. It's a time of searching and soul searching and wondering and trying to figure out the plan of God and, and trying to to figure out what's going on and what you had done to cause these things to happen and trying to find a solution and most importantly, just trying to find the sun again because you're living in darkness. You ever been there? You ever just felt like the sun has gone behind a cloud and it's just dark? That's the middle. That's the middle. But Job's story, like a lot of stories, has a very happy ending. And we see that happy ending recorded in Job chapter 42. So we see a happy beginning, a sad, scary, stressful middle, and then we see a happy ending to the story. But that middle sure is rough. Living life in the middle is where most of us are. We deal with deadlines, disappointments, death, dreads of life. We deal with sadness, sickness, and stresses. We deal with work and worries and weariness. That's what happens in the middle. Somebody with me this morning? Sometimes I long for the beginning of my life when I was just a child living at home and my mom and dad paid the bills and my mother made the meals. All I needed to do was just be a kid. Amen? I didn't know what stress was other than maybe passing a test or scoring points in a basketball game or getting that girl at school to talk to me. Those were big stresses of those days. But they were simple days, carefree days in the beginning. All was well. I went to bed in a soft, comfortable bed and a roof provided by my mom and dad. I felt that nothing could harm me. My dad was a big, strong man, six foot two. He was athletic. He was my hero. And I felt that nothing could ever come into this house to harm me. And I was just sure that any problem would arise, my mother could solve it by just simply making me a banana split. Amen? Remember those days when your problems were easily solved? Remember the days when mama could go to school and set the teacher straight for you? I usually got a whooping afterwards, but at least she'd go to bath for me. My story was she'd go to set the teacher straight, find out that I was the one that wasn't straight, and then I got a whooping at the end of the story. But talk about a happy... That one didn't have a happy ending. I'd have a sad ending. That was a happy beginning, stressful middle, and a very sad ending to that story. Man, I remember those early days. I'm not trying to say that children don't don't have stress. They do. Sometimes it can be hard to be a child, and not every child comes from good homes, and some kids live very hard lives. I'm just speaking for me personally. I, I remember the days when The world wasn't as scary as it became later. 
And there was an, an enveloping of innocence and joy. And my mom and dad set the spirit of our home, and it was a place of joy and happiness. And then came the middle, graduation. Amen? Cold, hard facts. Mama couldn't come to work and set the boss straight. Amen? Daddy couldn't write me a note to get me out of going to work. And there were deadlines. And sometimes disappointments. And things that I thought were going to go one way and they went another way. And then I got those calls of death and I've buried a lot of loved ones in the middle. Grandparents. Aunts and uncles and good friends. And then I learned what it's like to go to bed with the dreads of life. Dreading the next day, dreading the things that are on the calendar for the next day, dreading the things that are coming up, dreading the stresses and, and the details of the everyday life. And in the middle, people struggle. They work. And they deal with these realities. I always remember how God gave roses. It was Satan that brought the thorns. Adam and Eve lived in a place where it was always going to be like the beginning. And I don't know how long they lived in the Garden of Eden, but I believe they lived there a while, where they had a place of joy and happiness, a place of beauty. The best that God wanted for man was at their disposal, but somehow the devil got in there and he convinced them that there was more and that they deserved more and that God was holding out on them. And, and this one little tree, listen, God doesn't want you to eat off of it because God's not good. And he got Eve to literally question the goodness of God. And yet, everywhere she looked, she saw the examples of the goodness of God. Isn't it amazing how the devil can get in our mind? Get us to question God's existence and His goodness and His grace. And yet, we see examples all around us, and yet we just choose to focus on what the, the lie the devil has for us. And then we see that that happy, ending, or happy beginning ended, and then life in the middle started. Wasn't long after Eve was expelled from the Garden of Eden. God told her, he said, where there was roses, now there's going to be thorns and thistles. And Adam, where you used to just go pick the blessings of God, they were there for you. Now you've got to go out and toil and sweat. And the earth's not going to cooperate. It's going to be cursed for your sake. And you're going to have to work to provide for your wife and your legacy now. Not long after that, we see Adam and Eve gathering over a graveyard, crying over the death of their son, murdered by their other son. And then we see it as it just, life goes all the way to the stories that we've looked at all through Genesis. They learned about life in the middle, and the hardnesses of it, the same things you and I deal with. But it wasn't God's plan. God gave roses. It was the devil that brought the thorns. Say amen, say amen. Don't you ever be confused about that. You say, why is there cancer? Because there's a devil. God says one day he's going to do away with cancer. The Bible says he's prepared a place for you where he'll wipe away the last tear from your eye and there'll be no more death because there'll be no more sin. But in the middle, thanks to Satan, we have to worry about health. And we have to watch the decays that time brings to our bodies. Why is there death? Because there's a devil. And why is there stress? Because there's a devil. And why is there hardship? Because there's a devil. 
And I want to give you quickly three thoughts today to help you get through the middle. Are you ready for them? Very simple, but it's not complex. It's not about complexity. It's about character. Getting through the middle isn't a magic formula. It's about overcoming. It's about having some inner strength. It's about living in faith. But you've got to have some wisdom here, and I want to give it to you quickly. Number one, realize that you have a foe. How do you get through the middle? You better realize that you have a foe. Satan wants to get between you and God, and Satan wants to get between you and all the good that God has for you in your life. How can he do that? Get you to turn on God. Get you to question God. And he's effective. I can look at a church role, any church role, certainly ours and any other church that exists, and I can find people that in the middle the devil got a hold of them, and got them to question God's plan. Got them to question God's word. Got them to question God's work. Got them to question their literal faith and belief in God above, which was his goal. That's what he tried to do with Job. That was his goal. His goal hasn't changed. God wants you to trust in him. And God always says, if you'll believe in me, there's a great reward. God's a, a great God of rewarding he likes to bless. He likes to reward. And my friend, God already knows what He wants to do for you. Do you know that? God already knows what He wants to do for you. You girls over here that wonder if you're ever going to get married. Riyasha, do you ever want to be married? You, you hope, the Bible says, either findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. You hope to be a good thing one day. Amen. Now you sit here and wonder, who am I going to marry? And I know that, you know, that's a big question, isn't it? Will he be tall, dark, handsome? You probably pray that he'll be just like me, don't you? Don't answer that. I'm, I'm, I'm tender. I'm, I'm very sensitive. She says, let him be like Pastor Riggs, but have money. That's what she says. It's like that lady whose husband was missing. She went down to the police department. She said, my husband's missing. He said, well, can you give me an identification? She said, yeah, he's about six foot four. He's very dark complected, very muscular. And, uh, and, just, and he's got a big old head full of bushy hair. And he said, well, what's his name? She gave him the name. He said, wait a minute, I know your husband. He's about five foot tall, he's fat, and he's bald. She said, yeah, you're right, but who'd want to find him? <laughs> you know that God already knows who he wants you to marry? Did you know that? I mean, literally, God has a man he's preparing for you. And in that plan... It includes a man that's going to love you, respect you, take care of you, be the man that he's supposed to be. When he has a child with you, he's going to stay and help you raise that child. And he's going to help be a provider. Now, that's what God has for you. Did you know at the same token, the devil has a man that he wants you to marry? Got a lot of men he wants you to marry. But in his plan, you're going to be alone, and you're going to be despised, and you're going to be treated with no respect. The devil, all he's got to do is just get you to be desperate, get you to question God's plan, get you to run ahead of it. Riyasha says, why me? Why has he got to pick me out? I know this in my life. The devil has tried to sell me his plan a lot. And I'll be honest, there's times when I settled for his plan, and I always came short. It came with heartache, disappointment. And in the end, I only had myself to blame. 
Because in the end, the only one shocked that it ended up that way was me. Everybody else saw it. All right? That old devil's smart. And you need to realize you have a foe. And he wants to get between you and God. And he wants to get between you and the good in your life that God has for you. He doesn't want you blessed of God because that, that invokes praising and worshiping of God. He would rather have you on your knees cursing God, angry at God, and questioning God. Deserting God. No one is exempt. No one is safe. All the bad in your life is brought to you with the hope to turn you against God. Are you aware of this? Why does the devil have an interest in you? You're really nothing to him. Why does he have an interest in you? It's not about you. It's to hurt God. It's to use you to hurt your heavenly father, whom he's powerless against. He is relentless. He never stops. He's resourceful. And he has a lot of resources at his use, as we see in the story of Job. And the more you love God, and the more you serve Him, the more He is apt to attack you. Don't be surprised at the trials and temptations, but be sober and be supplied against them. But you need to realize that you have a foe. Do you realize that this morning? That's why you need to be in church. That's why you need a shepherd. You know, sheep with a shepherd are much less likely to be attacked by a wolf. Not that the shepherd really has to fight the wolf. He just has to be standing there with the sheep and the wolf finds other sheep, unprotected. You see, an easy meal is a lot better than a meal that you have to walk away with a headache from being hit by the staff in the club. Amen? The Bible says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The sheep see the shepherd standing there with his staff, his club, and they find comfort, security. Because they know as long as he's standing there, the wolf's not going to try to come get them. You need to be in church. You need to be in the sheepfold. You need to be, you need a pastor. You need a shepherd. The word pastor means shepherd. You need it. But I don't want it. I know sometimes you don't want it. I'm sure the sheep wish they could just run free through the woods. Kind of like a little toddler getting out of the bathtub. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what it is. You take a little kid out of the bathtub and they just take off running through the house. They love it. I'm sure that you wish that that's how it could be for you, but sometimes the shepherd is saying, hey, get back over here, and he's thinking you on the hind end with his staff. Get back over here. You know what my staff, I use the word of God. That's what I use to spank you back in shape, amen? Sometimes you get mad. But I'm going to tell you something. As long as I'm standing here holding this 1611 in my hand, the wolf's a little afraid. He'd rather find that sheep that's gotten out of the fold and is living in the world by himself with no protector, no shepherd, no advisor, no one praying for his soul, no one diligently standing in the doorway saying, go away, wolf. I will bash your skull you try to come in here. Amen? And I'm not the only shepherd. You kids have parents that are shepherds and Sunday school teachers and the youth director and... and, and faithful members of this church that help counsel you and advise you and mentor you. Man, the advantages are just so many. You need, you need a shepherd because you have a foe. And in the middle, that old devil's going to show up in your life. Starts off happy, but in the middle, it's where it gets dangerous. 
Let me give you a second thing quickly. Remember that you have a friend. Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You're never alone against this foe. I love that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love it. They were cast into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar said, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three guys in that furnace? This is all in the Greek. You have to read it. You have to know Greek to understand this, the way that's said. Didn't we throw three guys in that furnace? Yeah, we did. Well, why is there four in there? One of them looks like the Son of God. Hey, when you're going through the furnace in the middle, Jesus is the friend standing there next to you. Doesn't mean you're going to get out of it. Doesn't mean you're going to get to go over it or around it. Sometimes you've got to go through it. But you always have a friend. And if you'll think about it and pay attention to it, you'll feel his presence. He's there during those dark times in the middle that we all have to go through. Satan must go through Jesus to get to you. I love how the devil had to get a permission slip. Now, God allowed it because he had faith in Job's faith. He believed that Job would stand this trial. And God got the victory. It wasn't Job's victory. It was God's victory. And you and I are what gives God the glory and the victory through our faith in him. I know how the Bible tells us that the Satan, the devil is the lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. That lion's real. But you know, when you study the lion, you know the lion is known for its courage. It's what makes him the king of the, of the forest. Amen? He's got courage. Y'all with me this morning? He's got courage. Not afraid of anything, man. Not afraid of anything. They tell us that there's one thing that a lion fears. One thing and one thing alone that a lion will literally run out of an area and evacuate it. What is that one thing? It's a bigger, more dominant, stronger lion. He'll run from it. The Bible says that Satan is not the only lion. The Bible says there's a greater lion, a stronger lion, a lion with more power. And that lion is the lion of the tribe of Judah, none other than Jesus Christ. And in the middle, we need to stay close to Jesus. We need to seek His will, and we need to stay in His Word, His house, His will, and His work. Listen to me, in the middle, stay, don't stray. In the middle, worship, don't worry. In the middle, we need to learn to pray and not run away from the presence of God. And remember that God's got this. Now let me give you a third thing. I said, number one, remember that you have a foe. In the middle, it's very important for you to be sober. But remember that you have a friend. And now, thirdly, in the middle, refocus on the future. Say that with me. Refocus on the future. Say it again. Refocus on the future. The middle can be bad, and if you're focused on your present situation, you might be very discouraged. But you need to refocus on the future that God has for you. I want you to notice this. Go to Job 23. My life verse, by the way, when I sign Bibles or anything that I ever sign. I had a guy ask me for my signature the other day. Quite honored. Unfortunately, it was on a speeding ticket, but anyway. Job 23, look at verse number 10. 
It says, but he knoweth the way that I take. God knows the path for you. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job says things are bad here in the middle. My life was so good back then, but something's happened, and I'm not sure what's going on, but he said, God knows. And in this middle, if I just keep focused on him, I know that the future is going to end up good. I'm going to come out of this thing. It's going to go away. It's a cloud, but behind every cloud, there's a beautiful sunshine. By the way, you ever noticed it's only cloud when you're down here looking up? It's sunshine on the other side. Amen? Hey, God knows the future. And God's got the future. And Job understood this, and it was one of the secrets to him getting through the middle of the story. He says, I know there's going to be a better ending to this thing. I'm going to come out of this good. I just got to trust God. Go to Job 42 quickly. Y'all still awake out there? Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Rather be here than anywhere. I'm glad to be where I'm at right now. Job 42. Look at verse 10. It says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. What? That word, captivity. You know, the devil just tries to enslave us, get us in chains. But God said he turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters, and they all that had been of his acquaintance before, and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. People were generous to Job, helped him get started again. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. It was happy at the beginning, amen? But it was nothing compared to the joy of the ending. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. Total of 20 kids. I've always laughed at the fact that that wife that told him that he needed to curse God and die, she had the joy of giving birth to 10 more kids. Amen. There is irony in that story. Wives, be careful how you talk to your husbands. Amen. All the women just got quiet on that. And some of you men got quiet. You know what you are? You're a sissy. You should look at your wife and get permission to laugh and say amen. <laughs> Woo! Already! How long y'all been married? How long? Boy, it didn't take long, Kalea. I say you deserve a round of applause. Didn't take long. That's got to be a record. I'm going to have to put you in Mancood 101 classes with me once a week. Help you. Hey, something's knocking at the door. I think it might be your manhood. <laughs> Amen. Oh, my goodness. She ended up giving birth to ten more kids, man. What a blessing. I only joke with your brother Xavier because I'm in the same condition and misery loves company and I've always learned that men that boast about how they're the man of the house are usually not the man of the house. So, I just really feel like I need a friend. Somebody that can cry on their shoulder. All right. Hey, the end of the story is what's most important. 
The beginning was happy, the middle was miserable. But the story ends happy. I want you to, Brother Howard, when you were reading today, a verse stuck out at me. Psalms 27. Let's go there as I'm giving you my last thought here. Some of you all said, speaking of happy endings, the preacher's almost done. That's the happiest point. You know what y'all's favorite point in most of my sermons is? In conclusion. Favorite point. It's just the way it is. The lone wolf rides alone again. Psalms 27. Look at verse 13. Brother Howard, you read this and and it worked its way into the sermon here. I had fainted. The word fainted meant I had quit. I'd given up. But what saved the day? He said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Hey, are you stuck in the middle right now? Are you stuck in the middle? Wait on the Lord. And let me tell you, you're going to get through it. You're going to have to believe in order to see the goodness of God. I promise you it's there and your life can have a happy ending. I heard an old preacher, as I'm closing, tell a story. It's not original. I, just, I heard somebody tell this and it, it, it spoke well of this topic. About a little boy that was in his room and he was reading a comic of his favorite superhero. In this comic, in the first part of it, superhero, like it always starts off, doing his thing, and then he gets called into the distress. And there was a horrible villain. And it seemed like in the middle of the story that this villain had an answer for everything that the hero had. Everything that the hero did, the villain seemed to have something even stronger and better. He seemed to be stronger, better equipped, and even more cunning than his favorite hero. And in the middle of the story, he had gotten the hero and he had him tied up, and he had a device that was about to incinerate the hero. And He's reading this, and he's seeing the, the graphic pictures of his hero bound up, and he's looking at the villain as he's hovering over him and laughing at the impending demise. And then about that time, as he's about to flip the page, his mama called him to dinner. He said, but mom, I'm... And she said, no, son, it's on the table, come now. He said, but mom, I'm in the middle of my story. She said, son, you can read it after dinner. The boy was so distressed because his hero was about to be destroyed. He couldn't stand the anticipation. So he immediately flipped to the very back page and he saw where the hero breaks free and just puts a whooping on that villain. And the story ends with the villain destroyed and the hero riding off into the sunset. He closed it and he said, all right. He went off to dinner and he said to himself, all right, villain, enjoy it on page number six where you bind up my hero. Enjoy it on page number seven where you're mocking him and hurting him and torturing him. But listen, buddy, page number eight, he gets free and he puts a bruising on you. He went on and had his dinner and he enjoyed it knowing that all was going to be well. Listen, beloved, I've done read the back of the book. All is going to end up well. Amen? Are you in the middle? Don't lose faith. God's got a happy ending that He wants for you. I want you to bow your heads this morning. Listen to me. 
If you're not saved, there's no way to have a happy ending to your story.